0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Radically Normal. Today, we'll be talking with Kyle Worley, who's the church planner and lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Richardson, Texas, and he is also the co-host of the Knowing Faith podcast, which happens to be my favorite uh, podcast. So, Kyle, thanks for joining us today. Would you want to introduce yourself further?
1: Oh, man, I'm just glad to be here. Thank you, guys. I love podcasts, and uh, I love uh, getting to spend time talking about the things of the Lord, and so it's an honor to be
0: here. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much. And the word on the street that I've heard is that in a workout, you reverse curled 135 pounds. Is that true? <laughs> uh,
1: you know, that story has become more, uh, more myth. You know, it's like n- never let the truth get in the way of good story. And JT, certainly uh, one of my co-hosts on Knowing Faith has certainly not allowed that story to die off. Um <laughs> No, I do. Um, I do have some uh, power lifting in my background, but I don't know that I, I if it was a reverse curl of 150 pounds, it was certainly not orthodox. It was not a it was not a standard or uh, ergonomically correct way to reverse curl that much weight. So I, I wish that I could just stiff, straight arm, reverse curl, 150 pounds, but I'm not there yet. Maybe in the new heavens. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so. Uh, For all of you guys listening today, we're going to be discussing the topic of union with Christ. Um, So just jumping in and getting into the first question, um, you know, this has, you know, been historically um, and still is, um, you know, very popular doctrine and topic um, that, you know, has been been growing. We know that you talk about it a lot. and We want to discuss it with you today. Uh, So for the first question, um, could you please define it? Um, union with Christ, as well as maybe give a little bit on how vital you think that union with Christ is?
1: Yeah. So uh, the theologians have offered a lot of defini- definitions of union with Christ. If I was just going with one, I would say Burkoff's definition is pretty good. We can start there. Uh, he defines union with Christ as that intimate vital and spiritual union between Christ and his people in virtue of which he is the source of their life and strength of their blessedness and salvation. So, uh, intimate, vital and spiritual union between Christ and his people union with Christ is, is at a baseline, the doctrine that Christians are, uh, in Christ Jesus. So if you're looking for just like the most basic summation of it, what is union with Christ? It's that Christians, God's covenant people, are in Christ Jesus. That means it reshapes their identity. It reshapes their participation both in Christ and in the church and in the world. And it incorporates them into a new family. So it's not just individual, it's corporate in nature, meaning that when we're brought into Christ, we now are brought in to a corporate body of believers, all of whom share one fundamental reality, which is that they are in Christ Jesus. So that may be a good place to start. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. So uh, yeah, that that's awesome. That's that's great. And so if we're talking about how we identify in Christ and we participate in Christ and we're incorporated into him, can you kind of define those terms and maybe how that can be fleshed out?
1: Yes. Yeah, so fundamentally we're seeing in scripture that there are two fundamental ways of being in the world. So there are really only two identities on offer in the world, and everybody you've ever met exist in one of these ways of being in the world or in one of these fundamental identities. The first is in Adam. Now everyone you've ever met, everyone who has ever existed, exists by nature they're born into this world in Adam. And by in Adam we mean like Romans 5 means that we are born in Adam, we are born broken. We're born in Adam's sin. You think about Romans 5:19. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. That one man is Adam. So you and I and everyone who's ever lived have been born into the one man's disobedience, that is Adam. Okay. Everybody exists in Adam by nature. Some are changed by grace and they're brought into Christ Jesus. So, two ways of being in the world one, everyone possesses by nature that is in Adam, under God's judgment, sinner, rebel, rejecter of God. That's the fundamental identity of everyone who's ever existed. But by grace, through faith, some enter into life in Christ Jesus. And there's an identity change. They move from being united to Adam, to united to Christ. So the doctrine of union with Christ, has with it the implication that you are not born by nature into this world united to Christ Jesus, but you can be transformed by grace to be united to Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Okay. Yeah. So I I think where there is often a degree of confusion when it comes to the doctrine of union with Christ is what is the nature of this union? Like, where is it? Is it like on a, legal record somewhere in heaven is it written in a book is it a legal status change what has happened but the fundamental reality at play is that we're born in adam but we can be born again by god's grace in christ and i would say union with christ is the foundational element in any doctrine of salvation it's that's the beginning. You can't receive any of the other saving benefits of God outside of being in G, uh, outside of being in Jesus. That's the only place you can get them.
2: That's really good. And you know, thinking more to that, you know, that shift that you talked about um, in that union with Adam, and then moving into you know that um, I guess we'd say radical change into union with Christ. Uh, can you speak a little bit about how you know this um, how this idea can help us like you know understand. Um, And then also like as the process of becoming the righteousness of Christ, um, kind of how those two ideas may uh, work together.
1: Yeah, so when we think about righteousness or we think about justification, which is the saving act by which God declares us righteous in Jesus, I think oftentimes we think about righteousness as something, okay, righteousness is something that we're not born with. We're born unrighteous and we desperately need righteousness. We can't have fellowship with God in our unrighteous estate or condition, which is ours by nature and by merit for that matter. But we can be made righteous. But the only place to receive righteousness is in Christ. Think about 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin. God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin. Jesus was perfect. He was perfectly righteous, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So, what Paul is saying here is this you cannot become the righteousness of God outside of being in Jesus. We often think about righteousness as this good that Jesus has accomplished that then is applied to us indiscriminate of our relationship to Jesus. That's not true. Righteousness is not just this legal designation that happens somewhere. Jesus Christ is the righteous one. Our declaration of being righteous is contingent on our identity of being in Jesus. We're not declared righteous just because Jesus did some righteous stuff. We're declared righteous because we are in Jesus, who is the righteous one. So all of the saving benefits and namely and essentially righteousness, which we don't have by nature, but what we desperately need in order to enter into fellowship with God, All of those saving benefits are in and only in Jesus. So if somebody says, how am I made righteous? Well, you are made righteous by the work of Christ on the cross that you receive by grace through faith. Where do I receive this righteousness? In Christ alone. That's it. That's the only place to get it. He's the righteous one. If you want to be declared righteous by God, you have to be in him who has been declared righteous by God. That's Jesus.
0: That's awesome. That's a good, that's helpful because it takes it from being more ethereal to more tangible and intimate. So when we hear, so like, for instance, people get baptized and we hear they're buried with Christ and baptism raised to walk in newness of life. So what does it mean for people to participate in Christ? Like Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. What does that, what do you, th- what, how do you in- take that to mean?
1: Well, participation is the right word to use because this Uh, Union is uh, is as the theologians like Burkoff or Bob Inge would have said, it's a dynamic union. It's vital. It's living. It's it's active. It's participatory. And so, when we think about the doctrine of union with Christ, it begins as a fundamental change in identity. Excuse me. A fundamental change in identity. Beyond that, though, it becomes the mode of our participation in the world. And this uh, it's a little bit like this. Uh, You remember when you were were growing up and you're playing tag or you're playing hide and go seek and you, you establish like a safety, like a home base where you could not be tagged. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, Like the doctrine of union with Christ is that home base being in Christ. Jesus is that home base, except it's not confined to one location. It moves with every believer who moves in the world. It's moving and dynamic. It's all around you. Union with Christ. Isn't just something static. It's something that is vibrant and participatory. And I think that your reference to the baptism formula that we find in Romans 6, you know, we were buried there. This is Romans 6, 4, which you were referencing a minute ago. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul continues, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So, Here's the hope of union with Christ. Paul is looking back on the actual historical events of Jesus, both his death and his resurrection. And he's saying to be in Christ Jesus doesn't just mean that you have been united to Jesus's death. The Christian life, living life in and with Christ is not just about dying to things or what the theologians have called the work of mortification, putting things to death. It's also the life of christ the resurrected life so the christian life participating in christ jesus doesn't just mean that we put to death those things that are not a picture of life in christ or that are not congruent with the life in christ that god has invited us into it also means that we put to life those things that are congruent with the life in christ so uh just real simply uh Union with Christ, our participation in Christ, means that we have been given a new identity that doesn't just save us from what was, it invites us into what could be. It becomes the grounds of our sanctification and our pursuit of holiness uh, in a way that is uniquely tied to the event of Jesus's death and resurrection. So it is participatory, and I think that has to be stressed. It's a dynamic union, and it means that we can continue to live our life in Christ, knowing that um, all of life is lived in Christ quorum Deo, before the very face of God.
0: That's awesome. That's really good. And you mentioned sanctification. So I think that there is, uh, and I've heard you talk about this before, but the difference between our union with Christ and our our daily communion with God. So how does our union with Christ affect our sanctification or like our pursuit of obedience to him and our battle against sin?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, and I think Personally, in my own life, this is still something that I'm trying to live out and embody. So I think I can probably answer it with my words better than I can live it with my life. Um, but that's often how it is, isn't it? Yeah, that's all of us. <laughs> uh, you know, I think we see a little bit of this dynamic in Hebrews 10:14. Though the doctrine of union with Christ is not mentioned explicitly, it's presumed in this verse. But you hear it when it says, for by a single sacrifice or single offering, some translations will say, He has, Christ has perfected for all time, those who are being sanctified. Now, when you just hear that verse, you think, well, well, hold on. He has perfected for all time, those who are being sanctified. Isn't sanctification the process of being made holy or perfect? But the, the verse has already said, he has perfected. So what's happening here? What's happening here is we're getting a picture of the difference between union with Christ and communion with god union with christ is where all of god's saving benefits are secured forever for god's people when you're brought into union with christ you are brought into the positional perfection of jesus christ nothing can ever change that it's unbreakable it's unshakable that foundation can never be removed it's received by grace through faith in jesus faith in Jesus, which draws everything from the work of Christ and contributes nothing to it. Christ holds the positional perfection of his people forever because Christ is perfect and his perfection is given over to them. That's the doctrine of union with Christ. Communion with God is where we learn to embody and enjoy all that God has secured for us fully for good forever in Jesus. So think about it like this. Union with Christ is the fundamental change in who we are nothing can ever remove it once it's been granted but our communion with god it can deepen and it can be disrupted okay our communion is our embodiment of all that is already true of us in jesus it's our enjoyment of all that is good for us that is already present in jesus so enjoying uh or uh Union with Christ is when all of those things are granted and legally received by the believer. Communion with God is where those things begin to deepen in their enjoyment and embodiment. You know, um, I am my father's son. I am Joe Worley's son. There's nothing that can change that. I am his son. His blood is in my veins. That is a fundamental reality of my life. I am a son and I am a son of Joe Worley. Nothing can change that. Even if he wanted to disown me, he, he, he could, I would still be his son. Even if I wanted to disown him, I would still be his son. If I never laughed like him, looked like him, if none of my mannerisms ever mirrored him, I'd still be his son. It is, a, it is a fact. I am the son of Joe Worley, but in ways that I am both aware of and unaware of, over time, I begin to embody more and more of the life of my father. Sometimes in ways I don't even want to, you know? I think we all do that. Union with Christ is that fact. When you are brought into union with Jesus, you are now a child of God. Nothing can ever change that. And whether or not you mirror God in any significant way for the rest of your life, that change has happened and it's irreplaceable and it's irrevocable. But in ways that you are both aware of and unaware of over time as you mature in christ as you enjoy richer and richer communion with god you will both enjoy more of god's benefits for his children and embody more of god's blessings for his children incrementally over time that's sanctification does that make does that does that helpful? Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's really good. I'm actually reading right now Dane Ortland's book Deeper that just came out, and it kind of yeah. reminds me of that because he talks about how to grow, we need to go deeper into the gospel, which kind of mm-hmm. reminds me of sanctification is growing deeper into what's afforded to us in union with Christ. So that's... Yeah, absolutely. That's really good. So just real quick before we get past kind of this introductory idea of just what union with Christ is, or kind of these questions we've been focusing on, uh, we've talked a bit about Romans and you just jumped into Hebrews. Is there anywhere else you'd go in the Bible? If you were trying to explain to someone like what, what are some key verses that come to mind that we may not have already talked about?
1: Yeah. I mean, Ephesians is probably the crown jewel of talking about union with Christ, specifically Ephesians one, three through 14. Um, that That's probably Ephesians is where union with Christ is most pronounced, but other places to go would be John 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus, Um, the theme and the theological structure of covenant throughout the Bible. And specifically in the old Testament, I would really say covenant language is the union language of the old Testament. So somebody might say, well, I can't find union with Christ in the old Testament. Well, that's because union with Christ is the new Testament way of expressing covenant fidelity. Mm. So they're translating something in the new Testament that is really expressed in covenantal language in the old Testament. So if you're looking for a union with Christ language, the old testament you you really would be focusing in on anywhere there is a sustained discussion of covenant how it works so genesis 12 genesis 15 genesis 17 genesis 22 exodus you know 20 through 34 any of those passages the whole book of deuteronomy frankly um (laughs) those would all be passages to go to to think through covenant which is really the old Testament way of expressing the doctrine of union with Christ in the new
0: Testament. That's good. That's so good. I've never heard that about the old Testament. That's really good.
1: Yeah. And, in, and, in, in our year long theological discipleship program in the fall, we're mostly in the old Testament. And so we'll talk about covenant participation. And in the, when we get to the new Testament, we'll talk about kingdom participation, both basically as uh, two sides of the same coin, and union with Christ being the bedrock of both. Abraham participated in God's covenant by virtue of a future inheritance in Christ Jesus. And we participate in the new covenant because of the past work of Jesus Christ and the future assurance of its continuance. So it's not too altogether different from Abraham. It just feels a little bit different in the text.
2: That's really good. And as you know, you've been talking a little bit about you know participation. Um, with Christ, as well as, you know, just recently uh, talking more so about, you know, these um, parallels between Old and New Testament, how we can see that um, in the covenantal relationships between God's people um, and God. Um, but, you know, this is kind of an interesting question that I heard you discuss a little bit, and um, I think would be very interesting for our listeners as well. Um, but, uh, so moving into, into this next question, um, is there a union with Christ in creation or does it begin at the incarnation?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So I think if we're talking about uh, union with Christ as a, I'm about to throw out some big words here. i um, <laughs> trying to think about a way around them. I, if we're thinking about union with Christ as a ontological or metaphysical reality, then union with christ does not begin at creation it has a starting point before creation the reason we know this is that even in ephesians 1 verses 3 and following we're hearing this kind of language blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us in christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places all those ends in christ you know those Mm -hmm. are all of our little union with christ prepositional phrases but listen to verse 4 even as he, this is referencing God, the father, even as he, God, the father chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So election happens in Christ and election is a pre-creation reality. So for the believer, for Andre and for Michael and for Kyle and for all Christians everywhere, past, present and future, globally and historically, their, their union with Christ is chosen in Jesus before the foundation of the world. So in that sense, union with Christ occurs or happens in some mysterious plan of God's providence before the world is ever created. So, so yes, uh union with Christ exists prior to creation. Now, is it received prior to creation? Well, no, the fall hasn't happened prior to creation. What happens after creation is that what is now true in the eternal decrees of god become actualized in the history of redemption and so you know andre you were born in what
2: year 1999 1999
1: that's barely you, you came to faith when
2: uh 2011 2011
1: okay so you come to faith in 2011 In some mysterious plan of God's providence, Andre is chosen in Christ Jesus, not in 1999, not in 1998, not in 2011, but before the foundation of the world. Now, when is that actualized in your life? Well, it's when you respond to God's grace through the instrument of faith. You are now brought in by God's grace through faith into Christ Jesus. Now, what was promised, what was set apart, what was decided on before the foundation of the world has occurred within the history of the world. So if the if the question is, when am I united to Christ? Well, the, the answer is, you were united to Christ before the foundation of the world. But also, you were united to Christ in 2011, when by God's grace, through the gift of faith, you received what God had been determined to give you all along.
2: So, I really like that. And I love how, you know, you kind of bringing that back into how it really applies to us and making that more personal. Uh, you know, thinking more along <clears throat> those lines, um, you know, what encouragement would you give um, to our listeners or anyone who might stumble across this, this podcast of, you know, why um, this uh, doctrine of union with Christ is vital to our lives today, how we live our lives and, you know, how we go about thinking about um, our relationship and participation with Christ.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think it begins with the the, the recognition that the doctrine of union with Christ is the great assurance for the Christian believer because it's a promise that God has guaranteed salvation in Jesus for all who will respond to Christ Jesus by placing their faith in Him. This designation change is uh, not subject to the whims or the will of man, and because of that, God keeps us in Jesus from the beginning all the way to the end. you The Doctrine of Union with Christ is a reminder that every saving benefit of God has been secured by God and is kept in God, and that when we are brought into God, God will lose nobody who he brings in to fellowship with the Son at all. That's a really That's a really comforting message for those who are prone to wondering, to those who are prone to feeling faithless, to those who feel the sting of shame, or who fall into sin, and that's all of us right? Um, The doctrine of union with Christ is a profound reality that says what can be said of Christ can be said of me because God is that gracious. And because of that, what is kept by God is kept by God forever. So the doctrine of union with Christ doesn't just mean that I'm brought into fellowship with God. It means that once I'm brought into fellowship with God, I can never lose it, no matter how hard I might try. It also means that my uh, identity, my worth The affection that God feels for me is not contingent or flimsy or fickle. It is the delighting love that he has for the son is the delighting love he has for me, along with all of his children, because I am in the son who is a prime recipient of the delighting love of God eternally. Um, It also means that God's love for me is not mere grace. Grace is good. I am glad that one expression of God's love is grace, meaning the grace that forgives and restores. But God's love is not just grace. God's love is also delight. Uh, And we as Christians are recipients of that delighting love uniquely because we're in the delighted son, not because we're always doing delightful things. I know I'm not, you know? So I think those are great comforts and assurances that the doctrine of union with Christ
0: provides. Those are really helpful. And so I, we talk a lot about, especially today in our churches, you know, people encouraging people to accept Jesus into their heart, or there is language about that in the Bible about Jesus being in us, or especially the Holy spirit and dwelling believers. So we talk a lot about Christ in us. Do you think it makes a huge distinction or we should think about those differently? Us being in Christ versus Christ being in us, or do you view those more as synonymous?
1: uh so when we're thinking about us being in christ we're thinking about a uh well that's a good question michael i'm i'm gonna i'll i'll kind of float out this is actually something i'm thinking about for an upcoming lecture that i have to give so just know everything i'm about to give you is wet cement i don't two years from now if you ask me the same question i probably have a what i would feel like a more faithful answer but this is what i would say The normative description of the Christian in the New Testament is somebody who is in Christ, not necessarily somebody in whom Christ is, although that description is used. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. Certainly, that's one of the more popular expressions of it. And that's not bad. That's one, it's scripture. So it's inspired and inerrant and authoritative. So there's that, but it's also helpful. I would say that if you're looking for a distinction between those two things, I would say that when we're thinking about the doctrine of union with Christ, we're talking about our ontological identity identity our fundamental being having been moved from being outside of Christ to being in Christ. When we're talking about Christ being within us, we're talking about the spirit manifesting the presence of Christ in our lives. The reason I would want to distinguish between those two things is that one is a spirit wrought work that brings us by grace through faith into Jesus. The other one is a spirit work that brings christ's presence into our lives by grace through faith those it could feel like i'm saying the same thing like it's a semantics but i would say this michael even when you don't feel the presence of christ in your life you are still present in christ's life as a christian and i think that sometimes people that talk about inviting jesus into their life can make it seem like the great assurance of the christian is whether or not i feel like christ is within me that's not The case. There are many days where it does not feel as if the presence of Christ is within me in the way that I would hope it to be. I want it to grow. I want it to increase. I want my enjoyment and embodiment of it to deepen. But I would say that the presence of Christ in our lives is more a picture of that communion with God, whereas our presence and our fundamental existence, our being, being in Christ, is more within the scope of that union with Christ
2: dynamic. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's really good. And definitely gonna listen to this episode back again. Uh just for my own my own personal learning. Uh for sure. You, your answers have been been incredible. Uh we wanna move into some maybe some quicker questions, uh a little bit lighter. Um and you know, these definitely won't be any that you'll be giving a lecture on anytime soon, but I'll let Michael uh start us off.
0: All right, hit me with them. So uh obvious, you've mentioned Berkhoff, Bovink. Uh, uh-huh. I'm actually doing a reading plan with some friends through the institutes right now. And so oh, yeah. what would you say is the best? So for maybe one writer in church history and then one modern day book or writer, what would you say are like some of the best resources on Union with Christ?
1: Well, I mean, the best, Historic stuff is going to be in Calvin's Institute's
0: doctrine. But I'm in the right place.
1: (laughs) You're in the right place. I mean, a a good second is going to be Bob Inc., but if you're looking for some really strong firepower on the doctrine of union with Christ historically, Bob Inc. and Calvin are the places to go. That those are really, 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 really good wells. For contemporary theologians on the doctrine of union with Christ, I mean, uh, for somebody who's maybe a, a bit more academic, then you're looking for somebody like Constantine Campbell. Constantine Campbell has done some great work on union with Christ, but he's a Greek scholar and his work is primarily focused on like New Testament usage of the different prepositions, but it's very accessible. And I would say his book, uh, Paul and Union with Christ, is like a required reading for the topic for a deep dive. For more theological readings on union with Christ, uh, J. Todd Billings is a great. Doctor, uh, theologian of union with Christ Julie Canlis has a book on um, uh, Calvin uh, Calvin's spiritual ladder which which deals directly with the doctrine of union with Christ uh, you've got Grant McCaskill at the University of Aberdeen doing fantastic work that's very theologically rich and pastoral on the doctrine of union with Christ uh, rejoicing in Christ by Mike Reeves we always want to recommend Mike Reeves stuff it's always good yeah uh, delighting in the Trinity is a book we recommend that's so right often. Here. Yep. There you go. Um, he's got another great little book. That's about the same length called rejoicing in Christ. It's fantastic and deals directly with the doctrine of union with Christ. So those are some great places to go. I mean, there's a lot, it's a been, a, it's a great, it, it, it's a great time. There's a lot of interest in the doctrine of union with Christ right now, because union with Christ is often explored. Uh, well it's more inside baseball than you want to get, but there's a lot of interest in the doctrine of union with Christ
2: right now. That's really helpful. And we may or may not be including those in the episode notes. Uh, there were a lot, so we'll have to, we we'll see on that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that what you have is, is a cup of coffee. Michael and I both uh, love coffee. Uh, I think Michael also has his cup with him. Uh-huh. Uh, so do you have a favorite coffee drink or, um, yeah, would you like to share that with us
1: <laughs> well i'm going back and forth between this gatorade bottle which is full of water um and some uh vitamins uh and uh this this right here is coffee it's just black coffee i don't have a favorite coffee drink other than just whatever black coffee is available i am not uh I'm 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 for the best cup of coffee, but I will always take the quickest cup of coffee over the best cup of coffee. If I can have the best cup of coffee fastest, that's ideal. But uh, but I am not a uh, I'm really not a, a a snob about my coffee. I will just drink whatever is accessible, and then I little known fact, breaking news, nobody cares. Uh, I I drink lots of water, high volumes of water,
0: constantly. This isn't in our own show notes or prep notes, but have you ever had bubbly?
1: Yes, I've had all of the sparkling waters, and they're all good. Uh, I'm, I just, I love water. I drink water constantly. Uh, I'm a sucker for any sort of thing I can put in water to mix. I don't know why. I've just always drank a bunch of water. I'm sure that doesn't that doesn't hurt, but yeah, I drink good. a lot of water. And then JT. Last- JT makes fun of me because he lo- he says this this looks like this is like what you use in middle school or high school football <laughs> like on the sidelines those brimy bottles that were like disgusting that all those guys put their mouth on this is I bought like a pack of like 15 of these off Amazon because it was burning through so many plastic single use water bottles, but I'm not but if I buy like a nice water bottle I know I'll lose it because I, I lose these constantly. You know, I leave them <laughs> at a restaurant or you know movie theater whatever. And, uh, so I just am constantly buying these Gatorade plastic water bottles. They're cheap and I can put a lot of water in them, but JT makes fun of me constantly. on knowing faith for drinking out of this thing. So
0: that's super funny. And our last that's question is we ask every single guest about coffee. And also this question, which is it, just for you personally, it doesn't have to do anything with union with Christ if you don't want it to be, but who's some, what's, who's a Christian for you personally, who's been influential in the last three months can be an author, maybe somebody closer to you, anyone like that.
1: Yeah. A Christian who's been influential in the last three months. Oh man, gosh, so many. Yeah. I mean, I would say the other elders at Mosaic church, uh, I'm regularly challenged by them and I often aspire to be the kind of pastor that they are. And so, yeah, I'm regularly challenged by my co-pastors at Mosaic church, uh, just grateful for them and for their example and the way that they model the person of Christ to me and to our people. So I would say the, my my co-pastors at Mosaic church, delighted to have them.
0: That's awesome. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for joining us to talk about Union with Christ today. It was a privilege. It was an honor for me to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you.